Well, good morning. My name is Chris, and welcome to uh, Renaissance. It's good to have all of you here today. And before we jump into uh, this series, this message, which I'm so excited about, I just wanted to pause and just say thank you to oh so many of you. And uh, if you're a guest with us here today, or maybe you've uh, uh, missed the last eight weeks because you've enjoyed the shore way too much, and yes, I'm jealous of you. Uh, you're just getting back, uh, back on July 10th, which happened to be my 40th birthday, uh, which I survived. Uh, we uh, found out uh, officially that uh, my dad had uh, pancreatic cancer. And so it just, you know, it's so many of us, we've had these life moments that just all of a sudden, you know, the day before life was semi-normal because life is always semi-normal. It's never normal. And uh, then the next day it just radically shifts. And so uh, our life radically shifted uh, on July 10th, and uh, through uh, just God's um, strength and uh, so many people, uh, it's good to be sitting here today. Uh, my parents have been with us for the last eight weeks, and we got them into uh, Sloan Kettering, great doctor. They per performed the Whipple procedure, which I had no idea what the Whipple procedure was, but now I know a whole lot about the Whipple I'm not sure what I'll do with that knowledge, but I have it, and, uh, and so right now the prognosis is really positive, and my parents leave Wednesday, which I think it's kind of a bittersweet. We're like, yay, you're going home, finally, and uh, they're saying the same thing. Believe you me, we've had this conversation, uh, but then dad starts chemo, and so uh, I just want to say thank you for your prayers, Facebook messages, texts, emails, encouragement, support. Our family could not have made it through the last eight weeks without uh, uh, just so many people just coming around us and praying for us. And I'm so thankful for an incredible team here at Renaissance Church that just stepped into the gap and allowed me to kind of unplug and do my primary thing is to be a son and to walk beside my mom and dad in this season. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But it is good to be back uh, today. And I, I, we're so excited about this Imagine series. We're going to take two weeks and we're just going to kind of get back to just kind of the foundation of the church. Not so much about Renaissance Church. Renaissance Church plays a part in, in it. But it's more about God's vision and God's design for His church, capital C Church. And again, Renaissance fits into it. But I just want to kind of get back to kind of the roots of what God really wanted and what God desires the church to be and to become. So let's start here. All of us... Uh, have this amazing ability to, to uh, gather a mental image about a preferred future or a mental image of something that we desire to happen or a mental image of what we think might happen or should happen or could happen. It's a great part of how God created us. We call it our imagination. If you have kids, you imagine how your kids are going to grow up. What career path are they going to choose? And you try to guide that a little bit and try not to be too hands-on, but you, that's hard not to be too hands-on. But you have this mental picture of what you think they're going to do one day. You have a mental picture of who you think uh, they might marry, and you just hope that you like the person that they marry. You have a mental picture. If you're close to retirement, you have a mental picture of what retirement's going to feel like to all of a sudden one day wake up whenever you want to not 5 a.m. You have a mental picture of what it'll feel like to wake up and not have to catch the train. You, you wake up and, and your to-do list is blank because you can populate it with whatever you want. You have this mental image. It's football season. 
If you're playing fantasy football and you have Peyton Manning, anyone have Peyton Manning on their fantasy football team? Good, I'm glad. I missed our fantasy football draft. I couldn't be there. And the group of guys were so loving and caring and supportive that I couldn't be there. And so when I got my draft results, you know who they drafted for me for a quarterback? Let me preface, I, I am a Cowboys fan, but I'm a realist. They gave me Tony Romo. I'm like, I would, I'd take Tebow over Romo. <laughs> like, I'm like, like, I just know there's no hope. And now there's really no hope, right? So if you have Peyton Manning, you're, it, you're, you're imagining what it would be like for him to score seven TDs. That's what he did the other night. Seven TDs every game this season and what you're going to do with the money that you win. If you're a Jets fan, you're just imagining what it'd be like to have a quarterback, right? You're like, <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, again, I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm imagining what it'd be like for them to win just a game. You know, it's like <laughs> bars low. I'm going into the season going, yay, please win a game. I was driving with my dad to Home Depot just a few days ago, and it was a, one of these moments we're having this life conversation, and all of a sudden he picks up his iPhone 5. My dad's in his late late 60s, and he picks up his iPhone 5, brings it up to his face, and he asks Siri a question. And I paused in that moment, like, Dad, did you ever think, when you were even my age, that you would have not just a phone in your hand, but this handheld computer that you could ask a question to, and they would respond. I'm not saying respond with the right answer, but you'd get a response, right? Like, like this is just, he goes, no, it's crazy. We imagine. And for all of us, this mental image of what might be, what could be, what should be, is largely populated by images of the past. It just is. Images of how we are raised, images of our interactions, images of what we have learned. All these images help populate that, that, that picture of what might happen in the future. And when we think about this, when it comes to this word church, it'd be so easy to come in and it's like, oh, this, this Imagine series, let's all get a mental picture of the church, of what could be, what might be, what should be. Here's what I know for all of us in this room, we all have all of these images from the past associated to this word church, don't we? Some of them are great images. Maybe the image for you is uh, your first communion. It was a, such a positive, life-giving experience. You can remember that image right now. Maybe for you is a bar mitzvah or bar mitzvah, and it was such a great, great moment in your life. Maybe for you it was uh, uh, when you were baptized, unless you were baptized as an infant, and uh, you don't remember that as much. I mean, you've seen pictures, but right? It was this powerful moment in your kind of uh, uh, spiritual journey. But alongside those positive images, I'm sure all of us have images that aren't as positive. Images that are dark, images that are difficult. And maybe for you, you're a kid and uh, your parents started to go through a really rough uh, patch of life and they decided to get a divorce. And the church uh, you attended, the church you belonged to, they didn't know how to handle that situation. And so your parents decided to leave that church or maybe even worse yet, that church told your parents to leave because they didn't want to deal with divorce. And that's an image you have. 
Maybe it was a priest or a pastor that uh, you looked up to, you really admired, that you respected, and they had this moral failure. And that pastor, that priest, is attached to church. And that's an image for you. Maybe you walked into a church one time, and you walked in for the very first time, and no one talked with you except they stared you down. And you attach that image to the word church, a place where people aren't welcome, a place where people um, aren't invited in, a, pa- a place where people are kept out. Maybe for you, you walked into a church for the very first time, and it's what I call wacky church. Like, it's just like, you're like, what planet were they born on church? If you're laughing, you've been there, right? They're out there. I'm not talking down. I'm just calling it what it is. It's wacky church. And you walked in going, this is church. And for some of you, you walked into Renaissance trying to figure out, right? You're like, this is church? Man, the music they play and your coffee and bagels. And you know, the best compliment I've been given multiple times over the last couple of years is, and it's, I'm sorry, guys, it's usually you. Um, and a wife will say to me, my husband didn't sleep through church today. I'm like, yeah, our, you know, our, our bar's low, you know, it's like as long as people don't sleep, we're good, right? But you try to get your, 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 your arms around this church. So what I'd like to challenge all of us with as we go into this Imagine series is maybe we could take all of our dark images and put them in a folder. Because I got them. As I was thinking through this, I was in college, and we were part of a music traveling team. We would go around to churches, and we kind of do their whole service for them. And most churches, I hope you know this, maybe you do know this, most churches uh, are not blessed to have a, a, a band, a team, a musical team like Renaissance. Like, this is amazing what we, we get to experience here. And most churches, they don't. They have a person who can't sing on pitch leading the, the worship time. It's, it's fascinating. And, um, and, uh, and so we'd come into these churches, and we'd do their whole service. And when I say we're a, we're a band, uh, let's lower the bar. I'm not, we were really bad, but we were good enough to be in those churches. We were better than what they experienced. And so we'd come in, we'd do our whole thing, and then we'd leave. And so we came to a church uh, one Sunday, and we were setting up all of our sound equipment. I was setting up all my guitar rig and all that stuff. And the lead pastor was walking down the aisle, and he was such a, a nice man and so encouraging. He was so thankful that we were there. He's like, we've been so excited for you guys to come, and the church is so excited, and I'm thankful that you're here. And I think he was more thankful to kind of have a weekend off where he didn't have to preach that weekend. And uh, so encouraging. And he said, Aft- afterwards, can I take you all out to lunch? And we're like, yes, that'd be great. So we did our thing at that church. We got done, and uh, 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 people clapped for us, and they walked up, and they thanked us, and it was just so positive. And we started to tear down all of our equipment, and all of a sudden we realized the very back of this church building, there was a circle of guys with a lead pastor right in the middle. And we couldn't hear what they were saying, but you could just tell there was an intensity to the conversation. Well, all of a sudden, that conversation grew into screaming and yelling. And then that circle of men just left out the building. You know, we were just like, what's going on? The lead pastor made his way down that center aisle, and I'll never forget his face because he was just white as a ghost, and he was walking down the center aisle. 
with his voice shaking, he says, I'm not going to be able to take you to lunch today, but thank you for coming. And he turned around and walked out. Our team leader quickly, you know, jumped off stage and went after him to find out, you know, is he okay? What's going on? And within a few moments, he came back and he said, he was just fired. And all of us were like, what? And the next logical question is, why? When I said we were a musical team and we weren't that good, let me explain why we weren't that good. This is just gives you a picture. We, we couldn't find a drummer. And so back in the early, early 90s, there was a great, great invention. If you're musical, you'll, you'll know of this invention. It was called a drum machine. If you're laughing, yeah, it's bad. It's a little box, and you use your fingers to make drum sounds, and you record it, and it's horrible. But it was our drum machine. It was at least we had drums, right? Really bad drums, but we had drums. The lead pastor was fired because we used a drum machine in church, in God's house. As I was thinking about this this week, the emotions from that moment, some 20 years ago, came rushing back into me. Who did those guys think they were to treat someone like that? So if all of us can take those images, it'd be easy for me to say to delete them, but that's not reality because all those emotions came running back within me. But maybe we could set them aside in a folder. And for the next several weeks, maybe just imagine with new images, what God designed the church to be about. This week, we're going to look at a prayer found in the book of Acts. And it was one of the first prayers recorded of the very, very first church. And then next week, we're going to look at one of the first conflicts that rose up within the very first church. And within this kind of first prayer and first conflict, we're going to get a great sense of God's mission and vision for his church and so that's where we're going over the next two weeks. Well, let's start here with the first prayer. And it's going to take us a little while to get there. But I promise you, we will get to the first prayer. But you have to understand what's going on. Right at the beginning of the church, Luke, uh, who was a physician, he wrote two books, what we call books. Uh, uh, the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. And that records the history of the launch and the beginning of the church. And then his other book was called The Gospel of Luke. And that kind of records uh, the snapshot of Jesus' life, especially his miracles, his teachings, and what he uh, encouraged and asked and envisioned people to, to be and to become. And early on, this was actually one book with two volumes. It wasn't until much later that it kind of broke it out into these two books. It was volume one, Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and volume two, which was Acts. But they go together. And what we see in Acts chapter 1 is this group of people, mostly eyewitnesses, to Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And they numbered around 120, Luke tells us. So you've got this group of people, many of whom saw Jesus after he died, after he rose from the grave, eyewitnesses. But it, it was the launch of the first church. And then quickly, this 120 grew, exploded to 3,000. 
to set the context is 3,000 people in the city of Jerusalem, and they estimate that the city of Jerusalem was around 50,000 at that time population. I mean, this is substantial. Something catalytic is happening in this new movement, which they called The Way. And this is where the story kind of picks up. Peter and John were heading to the temple one day. It was time for afternoon prayers. And Peter and John, I mean, they're, they're just two of those kind of cornerstone people in the New Testament. If you come from the Catholic faith, uh, you know, Peter's considered to be the very first pope. I mean, it's Peter. John is the beloved. He wrote Revelation, a book that so many people study. And it's just, it, it will just expand and blow your mind all at once. You're like, what is going on in the future? It's John, the beloved. They were headed to the temple one day, and they came to this gate called Beautiful. And there sitting by this gate was a lame man. We know that he was lame from birth and that he was around 40 years of age. And this wouldn't have been the first time Peter and John had gone to the temple. They'd gone to the temple since they uh, were old enough to walk. This is something they had done so many times. And they had walked past this lame man who was sitting at the gate beautiful countless times. But on this day, they stopped. And Luke records that Peter looked down at this man because this man had said, hey, uh, do you have money? And Peter stopped and looked at him and said, look at us. Think about this moment. But in that moment, he said, look at us. Eye contact. You see, for years, this man lived a life where he was treated worse than uh, uh, animals. In that culture, they just considered that he was born lame, that uh, his parents had done something wrong. They had sinned, they had angered God, they did something, and so he was lame because of his parents. Think of the weight of that upon his shoulders. And in that moment, Peter says, I want to see you because you are of value. I see who you really are, not your outward appearance. I see who you are on the inside. Look at me in the eyes because you are loved. And then Peter said to him, I don't have anything to give you. And I wonder in that quick moment if the lame guy thought to himself, this is just my own speculation. I wonder in that moment when Peter says, I I don't have any money to give you, he, he thought to himself, oh, great. Another one of those like, like super spiritual people who go, I don't have anything to give you, but I'm going to give you a word of encouragement. Or I have a tract to give you, right? It's like, no, I'm hungry. Give me money. No, I need clothing. No, I need something. I don't need a word of encouragement. I don't need a tract. I need money. And then Peter said this, something beyond the lame guy's imagination. Peter said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And Peter leaned over and grabbed his hand and helped him to his feet, something that he had never experienced before. And Luke records that his legs and his ankles became strong. And the lame man started to walk and jump and leap and praise God. And so they made their way into the temple with lame guy walking and leaping and shouting. Can you imagine that picture? And as they made their way into the temple, 
filled with people that had walked through this gate called Beautiful numerous times who all saw a lame guy sitting there every day. Now he's walking and leaping and jumping. Could you imagine the air just being sucked out of the room? <gasps> What's going on? <laughs> you see, we look at the miracles in the Bible. And yeah, the miracles always helped a person or a group of people. Like, there's power in helping someone. I'm sure the lame guy was very thankful that Peter stopped at him that day. But the miracles were a lot more uh, uh, than just helping that individual. See, Jesus and the apostles used miracles to grab people's attention so that they could speak truth. They used uh, miracles to grab people and get their heads looking up and get them kind of pushed back on their heels saying, oh, wait, something's, something's happening here, something that we can't quite grasp, something. And so when they walked in, lame guy jumping around and dancing, Peter and John had this captive attention. And they started to preach. And Peter had one message early on. He said it in different ways, in different contexts, depending on the different people. He had one message. And as I've studied his one message, I've thought to myself, what would it be like for me every weekend to give the same message? That'd be awesome. I mean, not for you guys, but I mean, it'd save me about 40 hours a week. But his one message is simply this. Jesus is the son of God. He rose from the dead. I saw him. I saw him. I'm an eyewitness to him. And if you turn from your ways and trust in him, your life will be forever changed. Jesus is the son of God. He conquered the grave. If you turn and trust in him, your life will be ever changed. Jesus, that was the message. So he started to give this message. And all of a sudden, all the religious rulers started to uh, hear about and, and witness what was going on in temple courts. And so they came out to listen to Peter. But as they came out to listen to Peter, guess what they saw? Lame guy jumping around and dancing. And they're like, oh, wait, 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 he's been lame since birth. We've walked past him. How could this be? They didn't like Peter's message, but they didn't know what to do with lame guy. They're like, ah. So any great leaders, they needed more time to think about it, so they arrested Peter and John, threw him in jail. Great solution. The next morning, they, they gathered back together the religious rulers, and they brought in all the big wigs, and they brought out uh, 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 Peter and John, and guess who was still dancing around? Lame guy. I don't think he went to bed. Would you? Like, I think he stayed up at least three or four or five days, right? You haven't walked in 40 years. Now you can walk. I mean, you're just staying up. You're like, yes. I... Anyway, so he's dancing around. Peter and John are standing there, and they ask them this question. By what power or what name did you do this? By what power or what name did you do this? And so what did Peter do? He started into his one message. Jesus, the one who you crucified, the one that Pilate wouldn't let go, and you said no. Jesus, the one that you chose Barabbas over, Jesus, the one that you saw uh, die on a cross, Jesus, he's God's son. He conquered the grave. We saw him. If you turn and trust, it'll change your life. Well, the religious re leaders didn't know what to do, and so they came back at Peter and John and says, okay, we're going to let you go. One condition, you, you can't talk about Jesus. I love Peter. You know what he does? This was his reply. Nope. Could you imagine that? 
Like, they're like, we're in charge. We're telling you you can't. And Peter's like, no, sorry. We're going to talk about Jesus. And they didn't know what to do because lame guy's still dancing around. They're like, oh, we got to get rid of lame guy. Like, he's driving us nuts. So they let him go. And Peter and John head back to kind of their church community, their people. And this is where we're going to jump into this prayer. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And could you imagine that conversation? Because they had already heard that John and Peter were in jail that night. So you knew they were nervous. I mean, they're still just reeling from the fact that they witnessed Jesus crucified. Even though they saw him resurrected, they knew that the persecution was amping up and the pressure was amping up. And they knew that everyone's lives were on the line. And they just, especially Peter and John being arrested, what would happen if they went away as well? And so they started telling, going, the chief priest has asked us not to talk about Jesus. And I can just imagine that moment. Someone's like, so Peter, what did you say to them? Nope. goes on when they heard this they raised their voices together in prayer to God now there's these moments where I've studied the Bible and I've studied this 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 part of Acts so many times and this week there's this moment of new insight because I've always thought somewhere in the back of my mind that this prayer which we're going to get to next was John and Peter's prayer I mean it's John and Peter Peter, the guy that Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. John, the beloved. Like, they're the ones doing the praying. They let out the prayer. They're the spiritual icons. And then I got to this verse. When they, when they, they prayed. I'm sure Peter and John were part of it, but the prayer erupted from this group of people in this early church. I mean, just people like you and me. And this is what they prayed. Sovereign Lord. That's how they started. God, you are sovereign. God, you are in control. God, you have everything uh, within your grasp. God, your power, your plans, your will. God, you are sovereign. It's how Jesus started when he did the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, when you go back to the early church, their prayers didn't start like so many of our prayers, me included. God, I need. God, I'm having a heart issue. God, I'm dealing with something. God, I need to land this. You need to show up now. So many of our prayers start with God, I, God, I, God, I. And you go back and you just see this pattern that our prayers should start with the sovereignty of God. God. Because when it starts with the sovereignty of God, all of our issues become so small so quickly. God, you're sovereign. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They go on. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's Plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They go on. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. 
They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God, you are sovereign. Everything that is happening is within your grasp, within your power. Your plans are perfect. God, you are sovereign. Not saying they weren't scared, not saying they weren't nervous, not saying they didn't have fear, not saying they didn't have doubts, but guess what? They started their prayers realizing because when you start your prayers focused on the sovereignty of God, everything else becomes smaller. Now they get to the request. What would your request be in that moment? Protection? Wisdom of what to do next? Wisdom to how to answer the religious rulers? This was the request from God. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Hey, God, you deal with the religious leaders and rulers. We have a list of suggestions, God, if you want our list, but you're sovereign. You deal with them and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. God, our primary mission is a church. Again, this is not Peter and John's primary mission. It is theirs. But it was for this church, this group of people, to speak your word boldly or with courage. That was their first request. Give us the courage to speak boldly. Give us the courage to share who Jesus Christ was and is to people. Give us the courage to have life conversations with the people we interact with, with our friends and people we do business with. Give us the courage God, because we need courage. We all need courage. And the second request. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Remember, when God shows up and do, does what only God can do, it grabs people's attention. It's why through Jesus Christ, Peter and John healed the lame man. It grabbed people's attention. And they said, God, we're going to do our part what we can do to speak your word boldly. But God, stretch out your hand and do the unimaginable. And together, lives will be changed. That's a prayer. Remember, it wasn't Peter and John praying this prayer. It was a room full of people like us. After they got done praying, Several awesome things happened. This is the first thing. Verse 32. Oh, it's there. Wow, you're good. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Now, I'm not really sure what took place, to be honest with you. I've read so many commentaries, and what's interesting is uh, so many different places uh, just kind of left that out because they weren't sure. I'm not sure if the building shook. I'm not sure if trees shook. I'm not sure if, like, bodies or belly i don't know what something shook right something uh, tangible happened there was this feeling they were shaken and they were all filled filled with the holy spirit and spoke the word of god what boldly they all they prayed enable us and the holy spirit gave them the courage to speak boldly but then also this happened all the believers were, were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. They prayed this prayer, and generosity erupted from within the early church. It's 
amazing what happens when prayers start at God, you are sovereign. All right? God, you are sovereign. And when the church realizes its primary purpose, the church, not, not me, the pastor. That's the power of going back to the very first church. Because it would be so easy for, for, for all of you, and let me separate out you from me right now. It would be so easy to say, well, Chris, you're the pastor. That's your job. Chris, you're the pastor. You need to do those things. I'm not. I kind of come. The coffee's good, and it's good, and the music. And that's your job, Chris, but that wasn't the case. See, I see my job as simply as this. First of all, to be God's voice. Two, for God to leverage my gifts within the context of this church for this season. And this season could be days or decades. I don't know. I don't know. I was on my road bike uh, yesterday, and uh, a lady decided to make a right-hand turn from the far left-hand lane and almost crushed me. Like, I guess she really needed gas in her car. I mean, I purposely, or I, 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 I selfishly just wanted to live that day. But uh, she just wham, and I'm like, ah! I think I kissed her back bumper. It was that close. I don't know. You see, here's the thing. This isn't my church. First of all, it's God's church. And if you call Renaissance your church, this is your community. Guess what? God has placed this into your hands as well. And our primary purpose should be to speak the word of God boldly. The band's going to do this song. And as they do this, I just want you to pray, pray that simple prayer. God, you are sovereign. Enable me to speak your word boldly. Stretch out your hand and do the unimaginable. God, you are sovereign. Enable me to speak your words boldly and stretch out your hand and do the unimaginable.